بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم <تصفيق> الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا ما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respected listeners assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh as promised inshallah today i'll be speaking on the topic of virtues of the memorization of the holy quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says inna nahnu nazzalna dhikra wa inna lahu lahafizun indeed we have revealed the admonition the remembrance the dhikr which is one of the names of the quran inna nahnu nazzalna dhikr Indeed, we have revealed the dhikr, the admonition, the remembrance. وَإِنَّا لَهُ لَحَافِظُونَ And surely we, we are its guardians. Allah has promised to preserve the integrity and sanctity of the Qur'an. And for the past 14 centuries, we've witnessed the miracle of Quranic preservation. And the unique method which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen for the hidh, the guarding and the preservation of his verses, is memorization. And not even by scholars, but by millions of children across the world. And this tradition of people memorizing the Qur'an from the beginning till the end, which is a miracle in itself, and I'll elaborate on this in a subsequent talk. This miracle and this method of memorizing the Qur'an is not new. It stretches back all the way to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He was the first hafiz of this ummah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <coughs> promised him that I will preserve the Qur'an in your heart. When Jibreel alayhi salam would meet him, you see, the whole Quranic system is very different. The Quraysh in Mecca, the people of Mecca, 
demanded of the Prophet that he produce a book for them that they could read, whose pages they could touch and flip, and that they could find between two covers. They made this very specific demand of the Prophet telling him, if you produce a book, we will believe you. And despite their repeated requests, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never revealed the Qur'an in the form of a book, or even on paper. When he did hijrah to Medina, the people of Medina made exactly the same demand. Produce a book, show us a book, bring down a book from the sky that we can read, that we can touch. Again, Allah resolutely refused to reveal a book in bound form or on paper both in Mecca and in Medina throughout the Prophet years of calling for the 23 lunar years the Prophet did not receive one letter in ink and on paper he received it only through Jibreel alayhi salam to his heart. And that began with the very first words of the Quran in the cave of Hira when Jibreel alayhi salam hugged him and crushed him actually. And then he recited to him. Following on, whenever the Prophet would meet with Jibreel alayhi salam, Rasulullah in his eagerness to Memorize the verses. And out of fear of maybe forgetting or losing some of the verses, the Prophet ﷺ would silently repeat after Jibreel whilst he was reciting, moving his lips. Although it's no comparison for the purpose of our understanding, it's a very crude example, but if someone's reading out their number to you, we normally repeat under our breath, and we move our lips accordingly. So the Prophet ﷺ, whilst Jibreel ﷺ was reciting the Qur'an to him, he was listening. But at the same time, to make sure that he wouldn't forget it, the Prophet ﷺ would recite the words, silently moving his lips. And Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi mentions a hadith from Abdullah ibn Abbas, who says that the Prophet would recite under his breath and repeat, and he would move his lips to ensure that he wouldn't forget. And then Abdullah ibn Abbas said, I will move my lips as the Prophet moved his lips. So then Ibn Abbas demonstrated to his students and his listeners that this is how the Prophet would move his lips. And his student, the one who narrates a hadith from him, Imam Sa'id ibn Jubayr, 
He, when he related this hadith to his students, he did the same. He said, I will move my lips just as Ibn Abbas moved his lips to demonstrate how the Prophet ﷺ moved his lips. And then Sa'id ibn Jubayr, rahimahullah, moved his lips. The narrators from him did the same. And so on till today. So this is a practice which is very common whenever the ulama of hadith relate this hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas they also demonstrate with their lips. And this demonstration itself is a continuous, uninterrupted demonstration stretching from us, from me, all the way to Rasulullah wasallam, just as the words of the hadith are. So this is how he would move his lips. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, وَلَا تَعْجَلْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يُقْضَى إِلَيْكَ وَحْيُهُ وَقُلْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا That, O Messenger of Allah, do not hasten, do not rush with the Qur'an before its revelation is completed to you. And then Allah adds at the end, وَقُلْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا And say, O my Lord, increase me in knowledge. So in response to his eagerness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, Pray to Allah that he increases your knowledge because undoubtedly you have shown your zeal and your eagerness. But Allah told him, do not rush. Do not hasten your recitation. Rather, what should you do? Allah says in another surah, لا تحرك به لسانك لتعجل به إن علينا جمعه وقرآنه فإذا قرأنا فاتبع قرآنه Allah says, O Messenger of Allah, do not move your tongue so that you may rush or hasten with the Qur'an. Don't worry. The preservation or the collection of the Qur'an, i.e. in your heart. The collection and the gathering of the Qur'an in your heart, this is our responsibility. وَقُرْآنَ And its correct recitation is also our responsibility. فَإِذَا قَرَأْنَا So when we recite it, meaning when Jibreel alayhi salam recites it on our behalf, فَاتَّبِعْ قُرْآنَ Then you follow his recitation. ثُمَّ إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا بَيَانَهِ Then indeed, the clarification and the exposition of the Qur'an is also our responsibility. So the words of the Qur'an have come from Allah. The meaning of the Qur'an has come from Allah. The recitation of the Qur'an has also come from Allah. This is why one of the miraculous aspects of the Holy Qur'an is that the pronunciation of the Qur'an, the intonation the pronunciation, the tone, the emphasis, all of these features of recital are uniform across the world. In all over the world, for instance, in the Indian subcontinent, there's a phrase which says that after every 12 villages, the language changes. 
So after every 12 villages, the language changes. In parts of Europe, traditionally, not now, but traditionally in parts of Europe, there was a saying that every valley in some of these more mountainous regions, and every valley had its own dialect. So we're not talking about accents, we're talking about dialects, we're talking about actual changes in the wording and the vocabulary and the usage of the words. So language is a very evolving thing. And if that's true for vocabulary, for dialects, for style, then even more so for accents. Almost every city has its own accent. Every region has its accent. In fact, in one large city, different areas may have their own accents. And even received official received pronunciation, that changes. So if you go back to recordings of official news broadcasts in this country, go back to the archives and listen to received pronunciation 10 years ago and then 10 years before that and then 10 years before that, go back a decade and just over the last century you will be able to see and observe how distinct the accent is even in official received pronunciation almost every single decade. But when it comes to the Holy Qur'an, when it comes to the Qira'ah, when it comes to the Tajweed, you will find a child in the deserts of Arabia or in the grasslands of Africa or even in the steppes of Asia or even in jungles of the world, regardless of where they may be, in the east, west, north, south, they will recite Surah Al-Fatiha exactly the same. And we're not just talking about the words, the actual accent. Why? Why do we find this uniform dajweed and this uniform pronunciation and intonation when it comes to the tilawa and the recitation of the Qur'an? It hasn't changed from region to region, from decade to decade, not even century to century. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse, O Messenger of Allah, do not move your tongue so that you may rush with the Qur'an. Why? إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا جَمْعَهُ And then later, ثُمَّ إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا Allah says, all three things are our responsibility. To collect the Qur'an in your heart. To recite the Qur'an, i.e. the way it should be read. And the exposition and clarification of the Qur'an, all of these are our responsibility. So do not fear. What should you do? Allah says, listen attentively and silently to, the, to Jibreel. Once, فَإِذَا قَرَأْنَا Once we have read it, meaning when Jibreel has finished reciting the Qur'an on our behalf and you have been silently and attentively listening, without moving your tongue, without moving your lips, then you follow his recitation. And do not worry. The collection, i.e. Of the Qur'an in your heart is our responsibility. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we will make you a hafiz. 
to the Prophet And thus, he is the first Hafiz of this Ummah. He is the one who initiated the Sunnah and tradition and this practice. His Sahaba عنهم, became Hafiz after him. And this tradition has continued till this day. And it will undoubtedly continue. And in increasing numbers. So one of the, the first virtue of memorizing the Holy Qur'an, in its entirety, or at least as much as possible, is that this is a sunnah of the Prophet Allah promised to make him a hafiz. And this method of memorization, where subhanAllah, People, when they want to memorize cards, numbers, you have memory athletes, the performers. So they devote their energy and attention and their skills to just memorizing for sports, for display, to exhibit their memory skills. They are very, very few. And that's why they are all the more remarkable. But they train to do this. And they develop all kinds of mnemonics and tricks to memorize. But with the Prophet ﷺ, and with the Ummah of Islam, the tradition, the method hasn't changed in this day and age of technology, of computers, of audio-visual learning materials. The method of memorizing the Qur'an is still the same, not just as 10 years ago or the last century, but it's exactly the same as existed between the Prophet ﷺ and Jibreel salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet ﷺ, let Jibreel read. You listen attentively and silently. Do not repeat along with him. Once he has finished his recitation, then you recite. You follow his recitation. So Jibreel would recite. The Prophet would listen. Then he would recite. And in every maktab and kuttab, in every classroom across the world, this is how teachers still educate their children. Alhamdu, alhamdu. Lillahi, Lillahi, Rabbil Adameen, Rabbil Adameen. So the teacher recites, the student listens and follows the teacher's recitation. This in itself is a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and Jibreel. ﷺ. So he was the first hafiz. This is the first verge. Prophet ﷺ would receive the Qur'an, propagate it, and he would recite it as much as possible. And then each Ramadan, as Imam Bukhari relates from Abdullah ibn Abbas that the Prophet was the most generous and kindest of people. But the one time when he was even more generous as nor- than normal when he was the most generous, was in Ramadan, when he would meet Jibreel Quran, And he would revise the Qur'an with Jibreel 
And this is what they would do. So each Ramadan, the Prophet ﷺ would gather, would meet up with Jibreel ﷺ. One would recite the Qur'an and he would listen. The other one would listen. Then the, one, then the other would recite and the other would listen. And they would both read to each other as much of the Qur'an as had been revealed till then. And he would meet with Jibreel ﷺ on a daily basis. Again, this is a practice which has continued till this day. All over the world, not only do Muslims recite the Qur'an in Taraweeh, and people listen to the Qurra and the Hufad reciting the Qur'an in Salat al-Taraweeh, but during the day you may have noticed all over the world, whether it's in Al-Masjid Al-Haram or Masjid Al-Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or a masjid in the village, in any part of the world, you will see often two students, one reading and the other listening. And then the other reading and the other listening. This is known as Dor or Muraja'ah and Mudarasa. Again, this is a practice of the Prophet and Jibreel as part of that hidh and memorization. The Prophet encouraged the Sahaba to memorize the Qur'an Sahaba radiyallahu anhum did They would learn the Qur'an Memorize it Master it Its words, its recitation, its meaning And the people amongst the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum Who were memorizers of the Qur'an They were hardly ever called hafiz This is a later term They were all known as qurra So if you come across any original Islamic material in the Hadith, and it mentions Qari and the Qurra in reference to the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, it means a Hafiz and the Hufad. So Qari Qurra means Hafiz and Hufad. So the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, and not just Hufad, because for them it wasn't just words, they were Ulama, so Qurra meant Hufad and Ulama. So the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum were famously known as Qurra. And that meant not just reciters, but Hufad, memorizers of the Qur'an, those who had memorized the Qur'an, learned it, taught others, and continued to teach others. They were the ones who were respected. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honors someone who has the verses of the Qur'an in their heart. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would honor. In fact, Imam Abu Dawood relates a hadith in his Sunan from Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says inna min ijlalillah ikrama dhi shaybati al-Muslim wa hamil al-Qur'an ghayri al-ghali fihi wal jafi anhu wa ikrama dhi sultan al-Muqsid or كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم رسول الله عليه والسلام says part of honoring and revering Allah is to honor and to respect a Muslim of white hair so to respect and show to respect and honor the elders is part of respecting and honoring Allah. It's part of revering Allah. 
in the minijlalillah. So number one, to respect and honour the elderly, those with white hair. Two, وَحَامِلِ الْقُرْآنِ غَيْرِ الْغَالِي فِيهِ وَالْجَافِيَعَنِ And it is also part of the reverence of Allah and part of honouring Allah to respect and honour one who carries a Qur'an in his heart. As long as he does not go to extremes in relation to the Qur'an. And nor does he turn away from the Qur'an. So a hafiz, someone who carries the verses of Allah in his heart by the explicit command and instruction of Rasulullah wasallam, we are to honour him and respect him. Or her. Because of that connection. Not so much because of them, but because they carry the words of Allah in their hearts, in their minds. And they honour them themselves by acting on them. This is why the condition is, As long as a person does not go to extremes in relation to the Qur'an, and number two, as long as a person does not turn away from the Qur'an and shun it. So, the Prophet ﷺ has instructed his ummah to honour and respect the hafiz of the Qur'an. And he himself would honour and respect the hafiz. On every occasion. Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi relates a hadith from Abu Mus'ud al-Ansari radiyallahu anhu. Who says the Prophet ﷺ gave clear instructions as to how people should be selected to lead the prayers. And remember, traditionally, someone who led the prayers was considered an imam and a leader in the great sense of the word. He wasn't just regarded as a servant or an attendant or an employee. So the Prophet ﷺ gave clear instructions and he set down the criteria by which people should be selected for leading others in salah and in prayer. So what were his instructions? Prophet ﷺ said, Abu Mus'ud al-Ansari says in this hadith, recorded by my Muslim in his Sahih, that the Prophet ﷺ said, the one who should lead them in prayer is the one who knows the most of the book of Allah. Then he says, if they are all equal in qira'ah, in their knowledge and hifd of the Qur'an, then the one who knows the sunnah the most, and if all of them are equal in their knowledge of the sunnah, then the Prophet ﷺ said, the first ones amongst them to do hijrah. And if they are all equal even in hijrah, then the one who became a Muslim earlier, than the others. So these were the criteria, subhanAllah. Knowledge and recitation of the Qur'an, meaning memorization. Two, knowledge of the sunnah. If they are all equal, then knowledge of the sunnah. Three, the one who did hijrah first. And if they are all equal, even in their hifd, and even in their sunnah, and of course this wasn't Difficult at all when it came to the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. They were all pious. They were all companions. If you found a group of them, the whole group was pious. The whole group was 
consisted of leading Sahaba radiallahu anhum. They were all muhajirun. They had all knowledge of the Qur'an. So the Prophet wasallam said, the one who became Muslim first amongst them. So these are the criteria. And the first criterion is, the one who has the most knowledge of the Qur'an, meaning in terms of hifz, along with other knowledge as well. He would be selected to lead Salah. So the Prophet wasallam said, whenever the Sahaba would travel or they would be in a different place, the Prophet wasallam said, the one who has most Qur'an should lead the others in Salah. That was in life, even in death, the Prophet honored the people of the Qur'an. Those who had memorized the Qur'an. Imam Bukhari relates a hadith from Jabir ibn Abdullah who says that after the battle of Uhud in the third year of Hijrah, when the Prophet was burying the martyrs in the shuhada of Uhud, because of lack of shrouds, the Prophet had to wrap two companions or bury both of them together had to bury companions in one grave so if the grave was what we call the ship which is a slit at the bottom then of course you could put both of them equally, side by side, in a flat grave. But if the grave is a lahad, which is, this is a grave, and then you normally have a triangular corner insert into the wall of the grave, that's a lahad. So the Prophet ﷺ buried the shuhada of Uhud in the lahad grave. So there... The lahad grave, who would go in first? So here were the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. These were his beloved companions. They were the shuhada and the martyrs of Uhud. They had already gained the rank of shahada. But even then, the Prophet wasallam would say, place these together in one grave. Now who would be placed in the lahad before the other? The Prophet wasallam would ask the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, which of the two had memorized more Qur'an? When he was told who, the Prophet ﷺ would say, place him first and in front. Even though they were both shuhada and martyrs, the Prophet ﷺ, just as he would honor the people of the Qur'an in life, he would honor the people of the Qur'an even in death. Even though they were shuhada, he would say, who learnt most Qur'an amongst them? Place him before the other. And the Prophet honored the Hufad and the people of the Quran. The Sahaba did. Sayyidina Umar ibn al Khattab did. Following in the footsteps of Rasulullah. Imam Muslim rahimahullah, again relates a hadith from Amir ibn Wathilah who says that once Umar ibn al Khattab when he was Amir al Mu'mineen. He appointed someone as a governor over Mecca. So that governor of Mecca had to leave 
on one occasion, and he went elsewhere. So the instruction was that the governor, if he left, he would appoint someone as his deputy in his absence. So Umar met this governor of Mecca somewhere else, at Usfan. So the Umar said to him, that who have you left as your deputy in your absence as a governor of Mecca? The governor of Mecca al Mukarramah. So the Sahabi, so the, he said that Ibn Abza, so Umar never recognized that name, never knew who he was. So he said, who's Ibn Abza? So he says, he said, he's one of our freed slaves, a mawla, a client. So Umar said, you appointed a mawla, a freed slave, over Makkatul Mukarramah as a governor? So he said to him, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, إِنَّهُ قَارِئٌ لِكِتَابِ اللَّهِ He is a hafiz of the book of Allah. A qari of the book of Allah. And he has knowledge of fara'id, meaning the laws of inheritance, etc. So Umar radiallahu said, in that case, that's fine. Indeed, your Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he didn't say our, he said your, your Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa has said, That verily Allah does through this book elevate and raise some people and base and lower others. So what Umar was saying that I accept your choice and decision regardless of who the person is. If he has the knowledge of the book of Allah if he is a qari if he is a hafiz of the book of Allah, then indeed he deserves to be the governor of Makkah al-Mukarramah in your absence. And this was during the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, even though he was a former freed slave. And this is exactly what Umar radiallahu anhum would do himself. Who were his confidants? Who were his consultative, who were the consultative members of his committee? or the members of his consultative committee, who were the people that he would have sitting around him, whom he would consult, and with whom he would confer, even about the affairs of the state. Abdullah ibn Abbas, عنهما, relates in a hadith called by Imam Bukhari, in relation to the story of Uyaynat ibn Hisn, uh, whose nephew, I've related the story before, where Uyaynat ibn Hisn was a Bedouin, and very harsh in his speech. So he came once to Medina, and his nephew was one of the confidants and shura members of Umar radiallahu anhu. So he said to him that, I wish to speak to Umar ibn al-Khattab, can you arrange an audience for me? So he said, okay, since he was one of his committee members. So he did arrange an audience, but being a Bedouin and being of the temperament that he was, he, as soon as he entered the room, the, one of the first things he said to Umar radiallahu an was, Here, Ibn al-Khattab, he said, you don't distribute wealth as you should, and you aren't just in your distribution. And Umar radiallahu an, he was passionate. He became angry and lunged at him. He was about to seize him when his nephew, Uyaynat ibn Hisn's nephew, intervened, and said, O Amirun Mu'mineen, ignore him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, The adopt the path of forgiveness 
adopt forgiveness and enjoin the good and ignore the ignorant. وَهَذَا مِنَ الْجَاهِلِينَ Even though he was his uncle, he said, and he's one of the ignorant. So Umar radiallahu anhu, as soon as he heard the verses of the Qur'an, he calmed down. But in that story, Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma in the Hadith of Bukhari says that the people who surrounded Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu his committee, his consultants, and the people of his majlis and gathering were the Qurra. And this nephew was a Qari himself. So they were the Qurra. So Umar would ensure that he surrounded himself with the Hufad and the Qurra and the Ulama of the Holy Qur'an. And Abdullah ibn Abbas adds, Regardless of their age, whether they were not just old, but whether they were middle-aged or even young men, as long as they had the knowledge of the Qur'an and of the Hifd of the Qur'an, they were Hufad, those who had memorized the Qur'an, Umar radiallahu anhu would honor them and surround himself with these people. Just as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam honored the Hufad and the Qurra, his Khulafa honored the Hufad and the Qurra. And Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu relates probably the most famous hadith in relation to memorizing the Qur'an. Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi relates this hadith. From Uthman radiyallahu anhu, who says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, خَيْرُكُمْ مَنْ تَعَلَّمَ الْقُرْآنَ وَعَلَّمَهُ The best of you is one who learns the Qur'an and who teaches it. That, these words have so much depth. This is a declaration on the part of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as to who is the best. Who has the best degree? Who has the best qualification? We marvel at and we aspire to and we hope for, for ourselves and our children and our loved ones to get the most prestigious degrees and qualifications from the most prestigious establishments of learning. And we pride ourselves on these achievements. We strive day and night to ensure that our children are enrolled in the best schools, colleges, universities. They have the best degrees and qualifications. And it's a source of pride. The Prophet ﷺ says, better than any job, better than any career, better than any other degree or qualification, khayrukum. Itlaqan. Itlaqan is not the word of the hadith, but I'm just saying it means absolute without any qualification. The best of you is one who learns the Qur'an and who teaches it. This is why the narrator of the hadith, from Uthman radiallahu anhu narrates this from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And which tabi'i <coughs> narrates this hadith from Uthman radiallahu anhu? He was a famous imam known as Imam, imam Abu Abdul Rahman al-Sulami. Imam Abu Abdul Rahman al-Sulami. This Imam Abu Abdul Rahman, rahimahullah, was actually born in the lifetime of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But he never met him. But he lived with the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum 
learnt from them. And one of his greatest teachers was Uthman radiallahu And Imam Abu Abdul Rahman, he was an imam in his own right, had great knowledge, but acting on this hadith of Uthman radiallahu he actually says after the narration of this hadith, that it is this, meaning this hadith, which has kept me seated here till now. Why? He lived till very, very old. But for most decades of his life, all he did was devote himself to the teaching of the Qur'an. That's all he did. Even though he was extremely knowledgeable in other fields, acting on this hadith, Imam Abu Abdul Rahman al-Sulami, rahimahullah, did nothing else. He wouldn't teach people other subjects. He would just sit teaching the Qur'an. Not for one month, not for one year, not, for even for, not even for a few years, but for decades, till his death. And even when he narrated this hadith, he said, this is what has kept me seated here in my place. The Sahaba anhum devoted themselves to learning. And when I say learning, it means memorizing the Qur'an. Now, these are just some of the virtues, but in terms of value, in terms of reward, how should we view the memorization of the Qur'an? There's a very beautiful hadith recorded by Imam Muslim in his Sahih, by Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, and this is the wording of Ahmed ibn Hanbal in his Musnad. The narrator of the hadith from the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum is Uqbat ibn Amir al-Juhani radiyallahu who says that once the Prophet وسلم, addressed them in the masjid. And before I relate the hadith, just to put it into context, well, let me explain. The Prophet وسلم, said, so he addressed the Sahaba عنهم, in his masjid. And he said to them, which one of you would not like, which one of you wouldn't want to go to Butan or Aqiq? These were two very fertile regions of Medina. Extremely fertile. This is where the grass was. This is where the orchards were. So which one of you wouldn't wish to go to Butan or to Aqiq, the two areas of Medina, very fertile, and fetch two Qawmawain Zahrawain, two radiant, large, tall humped camels. Without committing any sin and without breaking relations with anyone, without the severing of ties. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhum said, Ya Rasulullah, which one of us wouldn't want to do that? Now, before I continue explaining the hadith, this is why I paused earlier on, I need to give this some context because otherwise we won't be able to appreciate the hadith. Who was the Prophet ﷺ addressing? He was addressing the Sahaba عنهم, and many of them were the Ashab al-Suffa, those who had no source of income, who were poor. 
And the Prophet is telling them that which one of you wouldn't wish to go to Butan or to Aqiq? And in this narration of Ahmed ibn Hanbal, he says every day. So you don't just go once, but you go one day to Butan and Aqiq, and for free, you are allowed to pick two camels. And then the next day you can go again, and the third day you can go again. So every day. So the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum said, Ya Rasulullah, which one of us wouldn't wish to do this? Now Zah said to give this some context so that we can understand. We eat a lot of meat, but we just... We have a very vague idea of the animals that the meat comes from. So we know it's lamb, we know it's sheep, but how many of us can tell the difference between the two? The Sahaba radiallahu anhu. So for us, two camels, it probably doesn't mean anything. So in order to understand the hadith, let's first of all understand what a camel meant to the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, to the Arabs. For the Arabs, the camel was everything. The camel was there source of pride, a mark of wealth. It was a currency. The deer, the blood money, was paid in camels. The blood money was paid in camels. And this is why the word for blood money is aql. And aql also means brains, or the mind. So how can they both mean exactly the same thing? The word aql originally means to tie. Now, the Arabs, when blood money had to be paid, they would bring the camels and tie them. And then they would come to the person and say... I've tied the camels, which meant I've delivered them. It's, it's like saying someone has to bring you a car, whether it's, let's say, a hire car. So they park the car outside, and they come in, and they hand you the keys, and they don't say to you, I've delivered the car. They say, I've parked it outside. So the meaning of I've parked it is I've delivered it. So the Arabs would tie the camels, and by tying the camel, it would mean... I've delivered it. So, eventually, the word tying, aql, itself became used to refer to the blood money. So, blood money was paid by camels. Camels were even given in dowry. Not only that, but it was their means of transport. Their rahila, their zamila, meaning what they would ride. So it was their main form of riding, and, and then it was also their zamila, which meant luggage. So it was their carrier, their transport, their car, their mark of esteem, their mark of wealth. It meant everything to them. And they would eat camel meat, but only as a last resort. Because they, they would try to preserve the camels for other reasons. Camels were very valuable. And just like cars today, 
you can buy extremely cheap cars and you can buy very expensive cars. For them as well, camels were cheap, not very cheap, but reasonable, standard, but they also had very expensive camels. The size, the colour, all of this made a difference. A few years ago, <clears throat> I read that in the Middle East, a few years ago, one camel was sold for $8 million. One camel. They continue to have camel races and camel pageants where beauty pageants for camels. And one camel was sold for eight million US dollars. That's a few years ago. So during the time of the Prophet, camels were extremely valuable. Extremely. And the better the camel, the more valuable it was. For them, in fact, in the Quran, imagine. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu in Surah Al-Ghashiyah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala invites the Arabs to ponder and reflect over the creation of Allah in order to recognize and realize his wonderful creation and his power and glory. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells them, do they not reflect on the sky? on the mountains, on the earth. Now to us, all of these make sense. The sky, the heavens, the earth, the mountains. These are mighty spectacles of nature. But even before these three, Allah mentions four things that the Arabs should reflect on. To recognize Allah's wonderful creation, his majesty, his power and glory. So before he mentions the earth, the mountains, and the sky, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to them, Do they not look at the camels, how they have been created? Now it must mean something. In English, we say a camel is a horse designed by a committee. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do they not look at the camel, how it has been created? So, camels meant a lot, and I could say so much. It was their car, it was their truck, it was their van, it was their 4 by 4 It was, and if the car, if the camel was extremely valuable, it was their expensive car. Their supercar, their sports car. Now, today, we probably wouldn't be interested in any camels, but cars. Now, the equivalent for us of this hadith is, the Prophet ﷺ said to the Sahaba, which one of you wouldn't wish to go to Butan or Aqiq, two fertile regions, and for free, without committing any sin, without breaking ties of blood and kin, without severing any ties, Go and pick up two Gomawain, Zaharawain, two splendid, radiant, that means beautifully coloured, Gomawain, large and tall humped. This was a sign of health and value. Two camels for free. And in the narration of Ahmed ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, every day, so every single day. Sahaba radiallahu anhu said, which one of us wouldn't, Ya Rasulullah? And for us, the equivalent is, who, who of us would want camels? But if someone was to say, which one of you wouldn't wish 
to wake up every morning and be told of two parking lots or, sport or car garages, showrooms, two car showrooms, and go there and for free, without committing any sin, without severing any ties, committing any crime, absolutely free as a gift, go and pick up not one but two beautifully coloured, radiant, large, expensive cars. Which one of you wouldn't? And not just one day, but every single day. Who of us could resist? The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, who were in a state of poverty, they said, Ya Rasulullah, which one of us wouldn't? So the Prophet wasallam said to them, that one of you should come to the masjid and learn two ayat, two verses of the book of Allah is far better for him than these two camels. And three verses than three camels. And four verses are better than four camels. And so on and so forth. As many camels as you wish. So as many verses, these are better than as many camels. That was the value. Now we may not think much of it, in the words of Allah's Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, two verses of the Qur'an, to come to the masjid and memorize them and learn them, are far, far better than even two cars. For free, brand new, even two sports cars. Two verses of the Qur'an. And the more we learn, the better. Someone can learn the entire Qur'an, alhamdulillah. But... One should not be daunted by this task. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ فَهَلْ مِنْ In Surah Al-Qamar, Allah mentions this four times. And indeed, we have made the Qur'an easy for dhikr. And what's the meaning of dhikr? It means all of these things. It means remembrance, admonition, to take heed. It also means to memorize. That's a, that's a promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has made the Qur'an easy to memorize. If one only makes the intention and begins a step of a, th- a journey of a thousand steps, begin with, of a thousand miles, begins with one step. The task may appear to be daunting, but we do it, don't we? We, we memorize Surah Al-Fatiha. We memorize the smaller surahs of the Qur'an. It's possible. How is it? That someone embraces Islam. They have absolutely no inkling, no knowledge, no experience of the Arabic language. None whatsoever. Even non-Arab Muslims, at least from childhood, they've heard the words, they've learnt the words. But for a non-Muslim, in adulthood, they embrace Islam. They've had no knowledge or experience of Arabic. And within a few days... When they pray Salah, they've already memorized Surah Al-Fatiha and the other small surahs. So it's possible. There are many people who've embraced Islam and have actually gone on, men and women, to not only memorize a few surahs and a few, ver- a few verses and a few surahs, but to actually memorize the entire Qur'an and to go on to teach. Allah has made the Qur'an easy for hidh, for dhikr, which includes memorization. So one should make the intention and learn as much as possible. It doesn't have to be the entire Qur'an immediately, but begin. We manage with small surahs. We manage with Surah Al-Fatiha. Learn the famous surahs, the ones to read every day. Surah Al-Mulk, Surah Al-Sajdah, 
Surah Al-Waqi'ah, and Surah Al-Kahf, Jumu'ah, and various others begin with the smaller surahs and continue. And inshallah, one can become a hafiz of the Qur'an as long as one has that intention. We attempt to do so much, and we're always envious of others. As the Prophet said, the best of you is one who learns the Qur'an and who teaches it. And we're always envious of others. We're always looking at others. He has a better car than me. She has a better house than I do. He has a better job. He has a better qualification. He's got more money. And we are so, subhanAllah, we can be so trivial. We are... We, we marvel at and we are envious of trivial things of the dunya. Like cars. And as I've said on many occasions, these cars will outlive us. We'll go to the graveyard before they go to the scrapyard. They will outlive us. Maybe not in our possession, but with other people. These cars will outlive us, and yet we pay so much attention to them. We marvel at them. We envy other people for their possessions, their homes, their cars. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in a hadith, recorded by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and others from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu he says, La hasada illa fithnatain. There is no envy except in two things. Meaning, if you were to envy someone anything, if someone else had something and you wanted it, you desired it, you longed for it, and you were envious of them for having that thing, then it shouldn't be for these trivial things. There should be no envy. Do not envy anyone their possessions, their homes, their gardens, their cars, their jewellery, their wealth, their money, their qualifications, their careers, their jobs. Do not envy anyone these things. There should be no envy. La hasad. There should be no envy whatsoever. إِلَّا فِثْنَتَيْنِ Except in two things. The first of the two, رَجُلٌ عَلَّمَهُ اللَّهُ الْقُرْآنِ فَهُوَ يَتْلُوهُ آنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ وَآنَاءَ النَّهَارِ فَسَمِعْهُ جَارٌ لَهُ فَقَالْ لَيْتَنِي أُوْتِيْتُ مِثْلَ مَا أُوْتِيَ فُلَانٌ فَعْمِلْتُ مِثْلَ مَا يَعْمَلُ The first of the two is, there should be no envy in anything except in two things. One, a man whom Allah has taught the Qur'an and then he recites the Qur'an for the hours of the day and the hours of the night. So a neighbor of his hears him reciting, and the neighbor says, would that I was given what he has been given so that I could do what he does. That is the only thing that one should envy. If you want something that someone else has, why go for the trivial things? Why want their car or their home, or their money, or their jobs, or their career. If you want something, the Prophet says, 
This is the first of the two things, only two things that one should be envious of. A man whom Allah has taught the Qur'an, and what does he do with the Qur'an? He reads it for the hours of the day and the hours of the night. So not just memorizing the Qur'an, but once he's memorized the Qur'an, he recites it all the time. And then a neighbor hears him reciting, and the neighbor feels that, how marvelous is this? If only, if only I had what he had, which is a Qur'an, so that I could do what he does, which is, I don't want the Qur'an for the title, I don't want the Qur'an for the name and the glory and the fame and the honor, no, I want the Qur'an so that I wish I could do exactly what he does, which is recite it day and night. And the second of the two is, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, وَرَجُلٌ آتَاهُ اللَّهُ مَالًا فَهُوَ يُهْلِكُهُ فِي الْحَقِّ فَقَالَ رَجُلٌ لَيْتَنِي أُوْتِيتُ مِثْلَ مَا أُوْتِيَ فُلَانٌ فَعْمِلْتُ مِثْلَ مَا يَعْمَلُ A man whom Allah has given wealth, yes, Allah has given him money. But he spends that money in truth, in haq. So a man looks at him and says, I wish... Would that I had been given the wealth that he has been given. Not so that I may enjoy it. فَعَمِلْتُ مِثْلَ مَا يَعْمِلْ So that I could do exactly what he does, which is spend in the way of Allah. Give in charity. Prophet wasallam said there should be no envy except in these two things. Because these are the things of value. Two verses are better than two camels, two cars. Three verses are better than three camels, three cars to memorize. If we are envious of anyone for anything, it should be only the verses of the Qur'an or charity. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim. Al-Mahiru bil-Qur'an ma'as-safarati al-kiram al-bararah wal-ladhi yaqra'u al-Qur'an wa yata'ata'u fihi wa huwa alayhi shaqun lahu ajran. Al-Mahiru bil-Qur'an ay al-hafidhu bil-Qur'an. The expert of the Qur'an. His rank is with the noble, pious, ambassador angels. So someone who memorizes the Qur'an, who's a hafidh, his position in the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is with his position is of the same rank. He's in the same rank and he's of the same position as as-safaratul kiramul barara. And who are they? As Allah says in the Quran, fi suhfin mukarramah, marfu'atin mutahharah, bi'aydi safaratin kiramin barara. Allah praises the Quran and says that the Quran is in the custody and the guardianship and the care of safaratin kiramin barara the pious ambassador noble angels who have been tasked with the responsibility of guarding and preserving the Qur'an in the heavens. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, a hafiz of the Qur'an on earth, his rank is with these ambassador angels. And the only explanation is that just as Allah has assigned them the responsibility of guarding and preserving the Qur'an, one on earth who becomes a hafiz. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala employs him as a means to preserve the Qur'an on earth. His rank is with those ambassador angels. And the rest of the hadith, and someone who is not a hafiz, but who actually recites with great difficulty, and stutters and stammers, and experiences difficulty in reciting, even they, for their recitation and for their effort, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them a double reward. 
the people of the Quran, the Hufad of the Quran, are the people of Allah, Imam Ahmed and Ibn Majah both relate a hadith from Anas bin Malik radiyallahu an, in which he says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna lillahi ahlina minan nas, qila manhum ya rasulallah, qala ahlul Quran hum ahlullahi wa khasatuh. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, the people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his own chosen selected people. So the Sahaba said, who are they, Ya Rasulullah? Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, the people of the Qur'an, they are the people of Allah and His chosen selected ones. Now these are just some of the rewards and the virtues of the dunya and of position. But what will actually happen on Yawm Al-Qiyamah for someone who has memorized the Qur'an in the dunya? There are immense rewards. One, the Qur'an will actually intercede on behalf of the reciter. And on behalf of the Hafiz. So anyone who recites, we, we know in the month of Ramadan, Ramadan is a month of the Quran. And Imam Ahmed relates a hadith from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhumah who says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said on the day of reckoning, the Quran, well, this is obviously on the day of reckoning, the Quran and the fast will both speak to Allah. And the fast will say, Oh Allah, I prevented him from eating during the day for shafi'ni if he accept my intercession on his behalf. And then the Quran will say, I prevented him from, risa- from sleeping and resting at night, accept my intercession on his behalf. Prophet says, For your shafi'an, the intercession of both the Quran and the fast will be accepted on behalf of this person. So that's just for someone who recites. But what about someone who actually memorizes the Qur'an? Again, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As radiyallahu anhumah relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and others that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, يُقَالُ لِصَاحِبِ الْقُرْآنِ اِقْرَأْ وَرْقَ وَرَتِّلْ كَمَا كُنْتَ تُرَتِّلُ فِي الدُّنْيَا فَإِنَّ مَنْزِلَتَكَ عِنْدَ آخِرِ آيَةٍ تَقْرَأُهَا it will be said to someone who has memorized the Qur'an on the Day of Judgment that read and rise. Iqra' warqa. Recite and rise. For indeed, and read as you would read in the dunya, for indeed, your station is at the final verse that you recite. So, if he recites one verse, he will climb, rise one grade. Recites two verses by heart, he will rise two grades. And if the more a person reads, the more they will rise. Read and rise. And if someone reads the entire Quran, then indeed their position, their destination, their station will be at the end of the final verse that they recite. Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a very beautiful hadith from Abu Hurairah who says on the day of reckoning, the Qur'an will actually come and say, Oh Allah, adorn him, meaning the Hafiz, someone who's memorized the Qur'an. Adorn him. So the Hafiz will be made to wear a crown on his head. And in the Hadith, Prophet ﷺ calls it, Tajul Karama, the crown of honor. So the Qur'an will actually say, Oh Allah, adorn him. So a crown will be placed on his head called the crown of honor. Then the Qur'an will say, Oh Allah, increase him in adorning. So he will be given a suit to wear, which will be called 
Hullatul Karama, the suit of honor. And then the Quran will intercede again and say, Oh Allah, be pleased with him. So Allah will be pleased with him. And again it will be said to him, Read and rise, read and rise. And Imam Hakim Rahmatullah relates a hadith in his al-Mustadarak from Buraida al-Aslami radiyallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said on the day of judgment. Well, the words of the hadith are man qara'a al-Qur'an wa ta'allamahu wa amila bih whoever recites the Qur'an and learns it that means memorizing and acts on it this is important man qara'a al-Qur'an wa ta'allamahu wa amila bih Whoever reads the Qur'an and learns it and acts on it, then on the day of judgment, he will be given to wear a crown on his head. The brightness of this crown is like the brightness of the sun. And his parents will be given two suits to wear. And the parents will marvel at their suits. And the suits will be of such value, the Prophet ﷺ says, the parents of this hafiz will be given two suits to wear. The world will not be equivalent in value to those two suits. The whole dunya. And the parents will say, the father and mother will say, why have we been given these suits to wear? So it would be said to them, because your son became a hafiz of the Qur'an. Because of your son's memorization of the Qur'an. So these are just some of the rewards. And in one narration of this final hadith, the wording is that not only will the person be given a crown to wear, but in one narration of the hadith, as Imam Mundiri narrates in his At-Targhib Al-Tarheeb, ascribing it to Al-Hakim and Al-Mustadrak, the parents will be given not only suits to wear, but also crowns to wear. So the son will have a suit and a crown. The, fa- the father and mother will also wear suits and crowns and of that value. And these are all reliable hadith. These are just some of the rewards. But mind you, I'd just like to make a word, well, say a few words in relation to how we should go about memorizing. Allah says, We have made the Quran easy for dhikr. And dhikr means admonition, remembrance, recitation. And he also includes and incorporates the meaning of memorization. Allah has given us this miracle. People can memorize the Qur'an. Make the intention. It's very simple to do. You can start. We waste so much of our time surfing the internet. Idling. Not doing much productive if we were to devote even a small part of our time to recite in the quran with the intention that if i repeatedly recite this over and over again i'll be able to memorize it it will be fulfilling personally rewarding rewarding with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not only that but as allah promises in the quran ala Know that in the remembrance of Allah do hearts find contentment. No, there is no better dhikr than the recitation of the Qur'an. One will draw a certain relief and inspiration and satisfaction and joy from reciting the Qur'an. And if someone does it repeatedly with the 
intention of memorization, then one can follow in the footsteps of many people. I'm not even talking about people of the past. But even now, people who continue with their everyday lives, they shop, they trade, they sell, they work, they walk. And even though they appear to be silent, not doing anything under their lips, or even in their mind and heart, they are continuously reciting the Qur'an, repeatedly. And it's easy to achieve. Pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and make an effort and inshallah Allah will reward you with success. And one final thing, in relation to this, that the parents will be given such a great reward. Remember, do not ever make the mistake of compelling children to become hafiz. There is no compulsion. Not even in hifth. Otherwise this would be a very personal and selfish reason it almost boils down to the following thought that I want to suit so I want to make sure that my child becomes a hafiz do not compel children to become hafiz of the Quran a word of warning I'll tell you why Allah forbid if you compel them in childhood in their later years they will actually turn away from the Quran do not compel children to become hafiz of the Quran never one of the most dangerous things to do. You will put them off the Qur'an for life. There is no compulsion. Encouragement. In fact, what do the words of the hadith suggest? They will say, why did we receive the suit? And the wording is, Quran, Because your son took the Qur'an, meaning he memorized it. So, the children should do it themselves and thereby honor and reward their parents. Not the parents use the children to seize this reward. So, of course, encourage children, but do not ever pressure or compel children. Children are innocent at such a young age, and if they are not inclined to do it, then do not push them, do not pressure them, do not force or compel them. And do not even use the logic that they don't understand, we know better, and they'll thank us when they grow older. They may never thank you. If anything, they may hold it against you. And you would then be responsible for turning them away from the Qur'an. So encourage. Advise. Let your desire be known. And, subhanAllah, why do you want to suit and employ the child? I'm just being humorous, but why do you want to suit and employ your child to become a hafiz of the Quran? Why not do the better thing, which is leave your child for now, you become a hafiz and give your parents a suit? <laughs> Encourage children, do not compel them, do not pressure them, do not force them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant all of us the tawfiq to appreciate the Qur'an. May Allah make us amongst those who are, who carry the verses of the Qur'an in their minds and hearts. May Allah make us amongst the Hafaz. May Allah enable us to receive 
all of these virtues and rewards both in the dunya and in the akhirah. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasooli nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiru wa natubu ilayka.